0: Book 7, chapters 5 through 9 of, Of the Love of God, by St. Francis de Sales, translated by H. L. Sidney Lear. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 7, The Union of the Soul with its God as Perfected by Prayer. Chapter 5, The Second Kind of Rapture god draws minds to himself by his sovereign beauty and inconceivable goodness which combine to make one supreme divinity of infinite perfection all creation is designed for goodness and beauty all things tend thereto goodness and beauty are desirable and attractive to all and whatever has power to will or to act is influenced thereby it is the property of beauty to attract and call all things to itself and therefore the greeks describe it by a word the root of which is to call so again the true symbol of good is light the property of which is to absorb all things into itself wherefore in like manner the greeks have a name for the sun which implies its power of ingathering and compressing even so goodness assimilates all with itself being not merely sovereign unity but supremely unifying inasmuch as all things acknowledge and seek it as their beginning preservation and end practically indeed beauty and goodness are one in the same thing herein i am almost literally quoting st denis the areopagite there is nothing created so beautiful or beneficent as the sun which indeed is the accepted symbol of both beauty and goodness both of these compose its light without which there were nothing either good or beautiful in our physical world its beauty lights up all things its goodness kindles and vivifies by the first it attracts every mortal eye by the second it attracts all bodily appetites and inclinations it affects all natural exhalations and productions all physical generation is influenced by the vital warmth of the sun even so the father of light the sovereign good and beauty attracts man's understanding to contemplate him by his beauty, while his goodness wins him to love. His beauty, as it entrances the intellect, pours love into the will. His goodness, filling the will with love, kindles the understanding to contemplation. So love excites contemplation, and contemplation love. Thus it follows that ecstasy and rapture depend wholly upon love, and we may fairly assert with St. Denis that divine love is ecstatic, and does not suffer those who are animated by it to belong to themselves, but solely to the beloved. It was under the influence of this ecstatic love that St. Paul exclaimed, I live, yet not I. But christ liveth in me galatians chapter 2 verse 20 he had gone forth from himself so to say into god and lived a life which was not his own but that of his beloved this rapture affects the will thus god touches it with his sweetness and then as a needle touched by the magnet turns to the pole so the will attracted by the lodestone of divine love is powerfully drawn and sinks into a rapture not of knowledge but of joy not of admiration but of affection not of theory but of experience not of sight but of fruition at times indeed the understanding may be filled with admiration beholding the holy delight which the will experiences, even as the will delights in the admiration which absorbs the understanding, so that these two faculties sustain one another, the sight of that beauty rousing love for it, while love causes men to gaze upon it. We do not feel the warmth of the sun without seeing its light, nor do we enjoy that light without feeling its warmth love renders admiration easy, and admiration facilitates love. Nevertheless, the ecstasy of the understanding and of the will are not so inevitably linked together, but that one may often exist without the other. Heathen philosophers often attain much farther in knowledge than in love, while good Christians often have more love and knowledge whence we may fairly infer that fulness of knowledge does not necessarily produce an excess of love while that excess of love is not necessarily accompanied by that of knowledge nor does a mere ecstasy of admiration make a man better st paul who had been caught up into paradise yet says If I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and have not charity, I am nothing. One Corinthians chapter thirteen verse two. While the devil himself can bring about false ecstasy and cause the intellect to be wrapped through deceitful carnal delusions, but that real ecstasy of the will, whereby it cleaves wholly and solely to God can come only from the Holy Spirit, by whom the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Chapter 6. The Signs of True Rapture and the Third Kind Thereof Even in our own time, there have been people who honestly believed themselves and were believed by others. To be subject to ecstasy, and who yet proved to be under mere delusions of the devil. There was a priest in St. Augustine's time who could throw himself into ecstasy when he would, and who, when in that state, was insensible even to fire, and his respiration was arrested. And philosophers say that there are certain natural forms of ecstasy the result of excessive application of the mind. So we need not marvel if the evil one, seeking to deceive souls, should transform himself into an angel of light, and produce false rapture in frail, ignorant people. Theologians have given rules whereby to distinguish real and unreal ecstasies. Two signs of that which is real will suffice our purpose. The first is, that ecstasy which is of God affects the will more than the intellect, so that where we find more light than warmth, more speculation than affection, we should be suspicious. Doubtless there may be even prophetic vision without charity, as there may be intense love without rapture or vision but wherever there is mere light without a will to love we may fear that there is more of that which puffeth up than that which edifieth and that its subjects is like saul balaam and caiaphas among the prophets yet numbered with the reprobate the second sign of a true ecstasy is to be found in its action upon the life the ecstasy of a holy, pure living. Human nature is not capable of a perfect performance of all God's commandments, but it is in accordance with the light of reason, so that when living up to His commandments, we are not in opposition to our natural inclination. But beyond these, there are counsels of perfection, in order to which not only we need God's uplifting grace, but also that he lift us above our natural instincts and inclinations because although these are not contrary to our human reason they go beyond it and therefore when a man leads not merely a respectable honest christian life but a life which is supernatural spiritual and wholly devout that life is ecstatic that is one altogether without and above his natural condition man's natural reason bids him live without stealing lying or impurity it bids him honour his parents worship god and the like but to renounce worldly goods for the sake of poverty to rejoice in shame contempt persecution and martyrdom To embrace absolute continency and to live in the world a life diametrically opposed to all its precepts and maxims a life of self-renunciation and abnegation this is not human but superhuman he who lives thus lives not in himself but without and above himself and inasmuch as no one can rise thus beyond himself except the father draw him such a life becomes practically a perpetual rapture a continuous ecstasy in act ye are dead and your life is hid with christ in god saint paul says to the colossians chapter three verse three death separates the soul from the body and its trammels and so speaking the apostle seems to say ye live no more in yourselves or in your natural state your soul has risen above itself the phoenix is said to extinguish its own life in the sun's burning rays that it may rise from out the ashes to a better and more vigorous life the silkworm turns into a butterfly the bee begins its existence as a grub and so it is with the spiritual life we leave our mere earthly life for another of a higher stamp hiding this new life with christ in god who alone sees knows and confers it our new life is divine love vivifying and kindling the soul and this love is hidden in god with christ we read in the gospel that our lord as he ascended suffered his disciples to see him at first until a cloud received him out of their sight since that he is hidden in heaven in god and since he is our love and love is the soul's life our life too is hidden with christ in god and so when Christ, who is our life, shall appear at the last great day, we too shall appear with him in glory. Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. For he who is our love will glorify us in his own splendor and beatitude. Chapter 7. Love is the soul's life. The soul is the motive power of all man's vital movements. Aristotle says that it is the principle by which we live, feel, and understand. Since it follows that these movements in their diversity are the expression of our various kinds of life, and where there is no natural movement, there is no life. So love is the motive power of that spiritual life by which we live move and feel and our spiritual life will be whatever the movements of our affections are a heart without movement and affection has no love and no heart that loves can be devoid of affective movements therefore when we fix our love on jesus christ we have anchored our spiritual life in him but he is now hid in God above, as God was hid in him on earth. And therefore our life is hid in him, and when he shall appear in glory, our life and love will appear with him in God. St. Ignatius expressed this when he said, My love is crucified, as though he said, That natural earthly love and all the passions appertaining thereto hangs on the cross. I gave it up to death because I was mortal. But as my Saviour gave up his mortal life to rise to life immortal, so dying spiritually with him in that which was the natural life of my soul, I rise to the supernatural life of a heavenly and immortal love whenever then we see any one given to ecstasies and raptures in prayer who nevertheless has no ecstasy of life that is no supernatural renunciation of worldly desires no mortification of the will by interior gentleness humility and specially charity then we may be sure that such raptures are very questionable they may dazzle men but they will not cause sanctification. What does the soul gain by being wrapped in prayer, if in daily life and conversation it be absorbed in low earthly affections? To be above one's natural level in prayer, and beneath it in life and act, to be angelic in meditation and earthly in conversation, is to halt between two opinions and is a sure sign that the evil one is deluding his victim. Happy they who live a supernatural life, raised, wrapped above their mere earthly selves, although they be not gifted with raptures in prayer. There is many a saint in heaven who never experienced such a rapture, many a martyr who was content with ordinary devotion and fervor, but there was never yet a saint whose life did not undergo the ecstasy and rapture of which i speak in the shape of rising above self and natural inclination st paul explains this still further when he tells the romans that our old man is crucified with christ that we be dead unto sin with him and raised with him to walk in newness of life that henceforth we should not serve sin romans chapter six herein it seems that we each have two beings and two lives the old man whose life is old the new man whose life is new even as the eagle which loses its power of flight as its wings grow old until such time as shaking the old feathers off into the sea, it takes new wing on its freshly grown pinions. Our first life, then, we live after the old man, with the faults, frailties, and infirmities inherited from Adam, and through his sin, our life is subject unto death. But in the second life, we live after the new man, according to the grace fervor and mercy of our saviour a life of salvation and redemption a life essentially vital and vivid but whoever would attain to this new life must pass to it through the death of the old man crucifying the flesh with its affections and lusts galatians chapter five verse twenty four Burying them beneath the waters of holy baptism and in penitence, even as Naaman went down into the waters of Jordan to cast off his old leprous life and receive a new pure life. He was no longer the old Naaman, but a new man, dead to his leprosy, alive to health and purity. And whosoever is raised to this new Christ-like life, lives no more to himself, nor for, nor in himself, but to his Saviour, in and for his Saviour. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 6 verse 11. Chapter 8. Saint Paul on the Ecstatic Superhuman Life no one has ever used such earnest and convincing arguments on behalf of this supernatural life wherein all action becomes raised so to say to ecstasy as st paul kindled rapt with love to his master he says and we each must learn to say the love of christ constraineth us 2 corinthians chapter 5 verse 14 nothing so forcibly affects man's heart as love we are eager to love those that love us but when it is a question of the humble returning the love of the great or a subject that of his king the urgency is tenfold if then we consider that jesus christ the eternal all-powerful god loved us unto the death even the death of the cross Is not this a constraining cause of love, and of a love as urgent as it is tender? But what is it in our dear Lord that constrains us thus? The love of Christ constraineth us, his apostle says, because we thus judge. That is, his love is urgent when we consider, weigh, and ponder the greatness of what he has done for us. And what is it that we are so to consider? See how gradually St. Paul leads us on. That if one died for all, then were all dead, and that he died for all. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 14 and 15. The process is perfect. If one, even Christ, died for all, then are all dead in the person of that saviour who died for them and the merits of his death are justly imputed to them inasmuch as he underwent it on their behalf what follows Here st paul again it follows that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again what more forcible argument were possible? Jesus Christ died for us. He gave us life through his death. And we live only by reason of his death because he died for us, to us, and in us. Therefore, our life is no longer ours, no longer in us, but in him, no longer for ourselves, but for him there was once a maiden of sestos who had fondly raised a young eagle the which as it grew strong of wing and followed its natural instincts of pursuit never failed to bring its prey in grateful fealty to its mistress at length it so fell out that the maiden died and according to the want of her land she was laid upon a funeral pile to be burned when just as the flames were kindling the poor bird came hovering over the pile and terror struck dropped its prey and lighted on the body of its beloved mistress striving to shield her with its wings from the fire and so great was the power of its love that even those fierce flames could not drive it away but cleaving closer to the body of her it loved the noble bird became the victim of its unconquerable gratitude and love. Can we not read our own history in this? Our dear Lord brought us up from infancy. He bore and fashioned us, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. He made us his own by baptism, and has fed us body and soul with his body and blood through his unutterable love while that we might live, he endured death for us. What indeed can we say, but that we which live should not henceforth live unto ourselves, but unto him who died for us? That we should dedicate every moment, every desire, every thought and act, every power and impulse of our soul to him and his love? Behold that divine Redeemer, stretched upon the cross as on a funeral pile, dying for love of us. Of a love stronger than death, a death more full of love than we can conceive. Why cannot we too cast ourselves upon that cross and die with him, consumed in the flames of his love, like the eagle of that Greek story? My beloved is mine and I am his. I will live and die in his bosom. Neither death nor life shall be able to separate me from him. Surely this is the true ecstasy of love, when a man has learnt to live no longer after the things and fashions of this world, but above them, solely after the inspirations and leading of the blessed Saviour of souls chapter nine the supreme effort of love is the death of those who love love is strong as death canticle chapter eight verse six death severs the soul from the body and from all earthly bonds so heavenly love severs the soul of the lover from all that is earthly and sensual The only difference is that in the one case the severance is visible, in the other it is spiritual, though indeed sacred love has been known so intense as to cause a blessed and precious death to saints. Just as it is the lot of the reprobate to die in sin, so it is that of God's elect to die in His love and grace. The faithful never die suddenly for death can never be unforeseen to him who has steadily pursued his christian course to the end but he may die by a sudden death and therefore the church in her litanies teaches us to ask not merely to be delivered from sudden death but from a sudden and unprepared death had mere worldly men beheld the fire from heaven fall upon and consume st simeon's stylites they would doubtless have imagined it to be in judgment rather than the final scene of his life's consecration as the abbot julian though at a distance saw it in a vision to be st homo bonus of cremona kneeling in deep devotion at mass rose not as it wont at the gospel and it was only thus that the bystanders found him to be dead many holy people have died in church or in the confessional or as they left the pulpit where they had been preaching god's word others die of apoplexy in coma in delirium or with the loss of reason or sundry other kinds of death which are indeed materially sudden but not spiritually unforeseen these all died in god's grace even though unable to think of him as they passed hence and that you will readily see with a moment's reflection for consider wise men do not lose their knowledge when they sleep else were they fain to begin anew each time they wake so habitual prudence temperance faith hope love are ever present in the good man's heart albeit not always active. When a man sleeps, all his wonted habits sleep with him, waking when he wakes. And even so, when the good man meets with death in a sudden form, be it accidental or other, he may not die in the external practice of divine love, but he nonetheless dies in God's love, as the wise man saith, though the righteous be prevented with death yet shall he be in rest wisdom chapter four verse seven for the means to eternal life is that death find a man living in habitual love and charity other saints again have died not only in such habitual frame but in its active exercise as saint augustine who died making an act of contrition which is love saint jerome exhorting his spiritual children to love and holiness saint ambrose in sweet converse with his lord whom he had just received in the blessed sacrament saint anthony singing the magnificat saint thomas aquinas with clasped hands and uplifted eyes fervently uttering that passage of the canticles come my beloved let us go forth into the field canticle chapter seven verse eleven the apostles and many martyrs died in prayer the venerable Bede, to whom the season of his death was revealed it was vespertide on the festival of the ascension went into choir and standing in his stall ended his life together with the vesper psalm following his master to that endless morning where no shadows fall gerson chancellor of the university of paris of whom sixtus of siena says it is hard to say whether his wisdom or his saintliness were most remarkable commented upon the fifty properties of divine love set forth in the canticles and three days after died without seeming ill ejaculating thy love is strong as death st martin died wrapped in prayer st louis that saintliest of kings struck down with pestilence ceased not to pray until having received the viaticum he stretched forth his arms as if on the cross and expired breathing forth the trustful words as for me i will come unto thine house and in thy fear will i worship toward thy holy temple psalm five verse seven saint peter celestinus after enduring untold trials met his end singing like a dying swan the glorious strain let everything that hath breath praise the lord saint eusebia surnamed the stranger died kneeling in fervent prayer. St. Peter, martyr, writing his confession of faith with his own blood, and saying, Lord, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And St. Francis Xavier, the great apostle of the Indies, breathed his last embracing the crucifix and bursting forth in fervent cries of, O Jesus, God of my heart. End of Book 7, Chapter 9